Gracious God, we thank you for the good opportunities that lie ahead of us in the next several days. We pray that we would embrace each one and do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. Anybody need a grandma for Christmas? That's the title of the viral Craigslist post that was put out by a woman in Tulsa, Oklahoma last week who just wanted to be with a family for Christmas. She went on to write, I cook and I'll cook dinner and even bring gifts for the kids. I just don't want to be alone because it hurts. And then the ad ends with, let me be a part of your family. Well, thousands of people have seen this post. Most of them have had great empathy for this woman, many connecting her with their understanding of, of how important it is to so many of us to have a home to go to, especially at Christmas time. That's the theme of countless Christmas movies and the number one reason why every airport in the world is chaotic this week. Everybody's just trying to find their way home. And home, of course, means different things to different people. It can be where you grew up, where you live now, where your family is. Home is not so much a physical location as it is whatever space you can encounter love in. Thus the expression, home is where the heart is. And so we're naturally drawn to those places and people that make our hearts sing. They are the safe places, the, the people of comfort, the ones that you can wear your sweatpants around and feel good about. They're the part of our lives where we find rest. And all of us in our own way are constantly seeking some kind of harbor that we call home. There is a movie called Patch Adams. It is relatively older now, but I would highly suggest that if you get a chance, take a look at it. It's a story of restoration and redemption. And it begins with Patch talking about his concept of home. He says, all of life is a coming home. Salesmen, secretaries, coal miners, beekeepers, sword swallowers, all of us, all of the restless hearts of the world, all trying to find a way home. And he goes on to say, it's hard to describe what I felt like then. Picture yourself walking for days in a driving snow. You don't even know that you're walking in circles, the heaviness of your legs in the drift, your shouts disappearing into the wind, how small you can feel and how far away home can be. Home, he says, the dictionary defines it as both a place of origin and a goal or destination. And while often we tend to take home for granted, we don't always know what we've got until it's gone, which is pretty much the story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Remember, we started out in the Garden of Eden. That was the first home. And that didn't last very long because we wanted all of the benefits of home without any of the discipline. And from that point on, we were just people in exile, always looking for a promised land, for a home to call our very own. When I was a teenager, which was before Facebook and before parents learned about forwarding messages on through email, my dad would just find things, make photocopies of them, bring them home and post them up 
all around our house. And so he brought one home one day that said, teenagers, tired of being harassed by your parents? Act now. Move out. Get a job. Pay your own way while you still know everything. <laughs> it tells you a little bit about what kind of teenager I was. It's very interesting how we make that move from wanting to get away from home as quickly as possible to wanting to be at home, especially at Christmas, because what we really want are the comforts of home, things that are familiar and foods that, that we remember, traditions we've long held, relationships that have sustained us. But there's things that we don't want as well, discipline, being chief among them. Have you ever noticed that teenagers do not fight with their parents over all the free food and housing? That's not what the fights are about. The fights are over discipline. They're over rules, over accountability. And Israel, God's people, were no different. God formed the nation of Israel from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but because of their sins, Israel fell into the hands of the Egyptians, where they suffered as slaves for 400 years. And then later, after Israel reached the height of its glory during the reign of King David, the nation became corrupt and rebellious again. Like a parent who warns their child about the consequences of their action, God used the prophets to warn Israel that if they did not change their ways, he would send them into the Babylonian exile. And sadly, instead of turning from their sins, they just turned a deaf ear to the prophets, and they persisted in their sin, and God kept his promise. The Babylonians conquered Judah and held them in exile for 70 years. So it's not that they didn't long for a home, it's that their sin kept them from reaching it. And the Israelites stayed in this pattern, this pattern of, of provision, and then of rebellion, and then exile. And it's a pattern that, that many of us repeat today. We have what we need, but then we go seeking more. Our lives are full, but then we flirt with temptation. The grass always looks greener on the other side, and so then we start wandering on over to check it out. And when we're challenged to return, we keep moving in the wrong direction because we don't want anybody telling us what to do. So even if we go in the wrong direction, we still think we are pursuing a remedy for our discontent. The more we sin, the more we rebel, the further away we get from home. The place of sin and rebellion in this world is the one into which Zephaniah was speaking. Zephaniah was called by God to, to speak against the religious and moral decay among the people, which, as you can imagine, made him extremely popular at parties. Under the kings, Ammon and Manasseh, the holy city of Jerusalem, was completely overcome by idolatry, and the culture was consumed by corruption. They had a new king, Josiah. He tried his very best for spiritual reform, but the people were already so immersed in their sinful ways, they did not want to change. They didn't want anybody telling them what to do. And so Zephaniah, like so many of the prophets before him, he preaches this word of gloom and doom. It's actually more than a word. It's almost three chapters of his book, which, by the way, if you were holding a Bible, you would know that Zephaniah is only three chapters long. And then he tells them that they're going to have these 70 additional years of exile at the hands of the Babylonians. 
Well, maybe you've had that experience of exile. Maybe when I started talking about home this morning, it, it really burdened your heart. Or it made you anxious or, or mad because you don't feel like you have a place in your life right now that is home. Because there's a brokenness somewhere. Something has, has altered relationships or, or didn't even allow you to develop those relationships in the first place. It's that feeling of being abandoned, of, of being a runaway. It's the heaviness of those who, who grieve their losses. And it's the conviction of those who, who feel that their sins are so bad and so dark that they could never possibly be forgiven. For all of those, it feels like there is no home. And so Christmas then becomes especially complicated, which is why the words of Zephaniah are for all of us this morning, but especially, especially for those of us who are wrestling with what it means to have a home to go to. What begins in verse 14 is, is a declaration by Zephaniah of restoration. It's one of the most beautiful passages in all of the Old Testament. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. Even right away, this is family language. This is God saying to us, you are still my family. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. Zephaniah says to the people, we know we know what this has been like. We know what the exile has been like. You have been defined by your sins, but no more. All of those things that have been said about us, that have been judged against us, that have, have punished us and made us feel that we were afraid and alone, all of those things the Lord takes away from us. He has turned away our enemies. But not only that, Zephaniah goes on to remind us that God is with us. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall feel fear disaster no more. You know, it's very hard to live a full and abundant life when you are afraid all of the time. Today, we have a team. You know that they're, you can see that they are missing. We have a team, just like we do every month, that is over-serving at our daily bread. And what that means is that for a few hours today, this team will provide a home for a group of people who spend much of their lives in exile and in fear. When they come into our daily bread, they don't need to fear that someone is going to hurt them or take away their stuff or take advantage of them or judge them. For a few hours, they get respite from the world and they sit and they are welcomed and they are safe and they are fed. They get to have a home. God becomes very real to us when we wrestle with him and land in a place of peace because we know that he's going to stick with us, that he's going to be present with us no matter what. Zephaniah goes on to proclaim, On that day it shall be said in Jerusalem, Do not fear. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. And I want you to hear this. If you are somebody who is very concerned about this idea of home for Christmas, if you are worried 
that maybe you are not loved, that you are not wanted, I want you to hear these words. He will rejoice over you, over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing on a day of festival. The Lord God does that over you. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all of your oppressors at that time and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. If this Christmas feels like a battle to you and you feel as though that your joy has been stolen, Zephaniah reminds us that God is here. God is in our midst, that he is a warrior who will give us the victory. And that's really important. It's important for all of us because in this battle that is Christmas, for so many, it's never going to be about what you spend or what you give. It will all be about what you receive in the presence of Jesus Christ. Because Christmas is the start of new life. And in the birth of Jesus, we get to see this glimpse, this glimpse of victory that is coming with the resurrection. And in spite of all that we've done, all the things that we've said, all the ways that we rebel, Scripture says he will rejoice over us with gladness. He will renew us in his love. He will exalt over us with loud singing and remove disaster from us. Christmas has the potential to be such a liberating time of year because God removes from us all these things that seek to harden our hearts and darken our lives and replaces them with hope, peace, joy, and love. And it just keeps getting better. Because Zephaniah says that he will save the lame and he will gather the outcast, changing their shame into praise. When I read this, I think about all of the people this time of year who metaphorically stand outside the windows of the homes of family and friends feeling lost and abandoned at Christmas. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you just turn on the Hallmark Channel this time of year. Every movie's got one of those characters who's standing on the outside looking in at everybody else, wishing that they could be a part of it. The picture that Zephaniah presents is that we have a God who sees those people, who goes out there and collects them and brings them all in. We have a God that pursues us even when we don't feel like we are worthy, a God who is waiting with excitement and anticipation in a way that those cheesy Christmas commercials could never, never present. And then after all of that, God says, at that time, I will bring you home. I will bring you home at that time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. I will bring you home. That is such an intimate invitation to be wanted in somebody's home, in God's home. God wants us, wants to restore us this Christmas through his great love that is given to us in Jesus Christ. He is giving us the keys to the kingdom and he is throwing wide the gates of his home and he is saying, you come, you come, you have a place here. So here's what I want you to do in these last few days of Advent. I really want to challenge you to consider who needs to be restored in your home. 
Who needs to be restored in, in your life? Is there a phone call that you need to make or a letter that you need to write here in the next few days forgiving somebody or asking for forgiveness? Is there an invitation that, that you need to extend that gives someone a warm welcome in your home? Is there a conversation that you need to have that, that lets you share your brokenness and your longing with someone who may be completely unaware that you feel as though you are among the outcast? Is there somebody that you need to notice that maybe you haven't noticed before? I want you to really think about that. I want you to think about how many times we see each other on Sunday mornings and we say hello and we shake hands and then we walk away. Is God calling you to notice somebody that you did not notice before? In, the own, in, in your own busyness this season, is there a grieving widow or a grieving mother or a recent divorcee or an alienated young adult or a struggling teenager or an ailing coworker who just needs somebody, needs you to see them, to see that they still matter, that they exist, that they're still here? Can you create space in your life to share the love of Jesus Christ by working towards the restoration of the people around you? This Christmas Eve, I want to make sure that we as a church family invite everyone in this community, and I don't mean our church, I mean the whole community around us, that people are invited to this place without judgment, without fear, and that when they get here, everyone is welcomed into this place, into God's, into God's house, in a home that is defined and marked and called love. Let's pray together. Lord, we take a minute now to lift up to you the outcasts, the ones for whom listening to a sermon about home rings hollow because they do not feel like they have one that they belong to. And we pray for those that do have a home and take it for granted. We pray, Lord, that each one of us would consider our own lives, consider the opportunities that we have to restore relationships and friendships, to build homes of love that welcome all without judgment and without fear. In your name we pray. Amen.